We were blindfolded, super tight, so we couldn't see. And then we'd be spun around a lot. And then there would be one voice across the room that we had to listen to, telling us how to get and navigate through the room while everybody else in the room was trying to confuse us. We'd fall down, there would be bruises and bumps, you'd walk into a wall a couple times. But the whole point was you were lost, you were confused, you were dizzy, and most of all, you were blind. You couldn't see a darn thing. There's this thing about blindness, there's this thing about being dark, where it is the equalizer for us all. None of us can see in the dark. None of, and so when it's dark outside, when it's a moonless, pitch black night, you can't see anything, and it, it, it cripples you. It's scary. How many of you had tried to walk across a hotel room in the pitch black hotel room and you end up kicking something? When it's dark, we get nervous. When it's dark, we get afraid and we try as hard as we can, but many of us can't walk in the dark. We can't see in the dark. And oftentimes when we look at our life, when we look at our, our, our life of faith, it seems that many of us at many times, and most times all of us, are walking in the dark. You have no idea how your life is going to end up. You have no idea when is your last day. It's, we don't, we're not like a milk carton where we have a date stamped on the side of our hip saying this is your day. We don't know when we're going to die. We don't know if we're going to get sick. We don't know a lot of things. You don't know if you're going to get married. You didn't know who you're going to get married. You don't know what you're going, what's going to happen tomorrow at work. There is tons of unknowns in our lives and in our world. In many ways, it's like walking in the dark. You don't know what's going to happen. And there's a couple responses we can have in that. Either we can sit back in our house and never go outside, never do anything because we're afraid, or we can have this thing called faith. And in that thing called faith, we can learn to trust, we can learn to risk. And so today, we're going to look at two people in, in the text. There's two stories in this text, wrapped into one. The scholars called it a, a Mark sandwich. Uh, the gospel writer of Mark likes to put two things together and smash them into one. We're going to look at Luke's account. So today it's a Luke sandwich. It's two, it's two miracles all in one story with one that bookends both. There's two people in this text. And they give us an example of how to see in the dark. The first one's Jarius. Jarius is the one who comes to uh, Jesus because his daughter is sick. The second one is a woman. We don't get her name. Some people like to guess, but their guess is she doesn't have a name. She comes to Jesus because she's without hope. And then there's this thing I like to do whenever I read the Bible, is I look at it and try to find which one I identify with more. So we'll start with Jarius. Jarius comes to, uh, comes to Jesus, and, and really it's the middle of the day for him, faith-wise. He's got no doubts. He's a confident man. In verse 41 of chapter 8 of Luke, it says this. There's a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader. He came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house. Because his only daughter, a girl of about 12 years old, was dying. He's a leader of the synagogue. So back in that time, he, to us, we hear leader of a synagogue, big whoop. But in that day, the synagogue, the leader of the synagogue, was the most important person in the town. He was the spiritual leader, he was the local professor, he was the, the, the celebrity in town, he was the mayor, he was the citizen of the month, all wrapped into one esteemed person. And so here comes Jarius, 
Everyone looks at him and he's got everything going in his way. Everything's right for him. Uh, but he's got this problem. He arrived at Jesus and, and, and though he's confident, though he's got everything going, there's something wrong. His daughter is sick. Twelve years old in that culture. She had her whole life in front of her. In that day, you got married around 12 or 13 years old. So her life is just beginning and now she's sick. And they don't know what's going on with her. So he comes to Jesus. He's a desperate man. He, he comes, his daughter's sick, and he wants Jesus to do something for him. He, he knows that Jesus can heal. He's heard about this Jesus guy. And now that Jesus has come back from across the lake and into his town, great, problem solved. I'll go do this. He's a powerful man. He'll go, he'll see Jesus, he'll find him, he'll convince him because of his clout to come and heal uh, his daughter and everything will be great. It makes sense. For Jarius right now, there's really not a lot of faith. He has a problem. Here's the answer. Solved. In many ways, it's like me going to Costco. I have a map whenever I go to Costco. I know I'm going to go. I'm going to show my card to the nice person at the door. I'm going to grab my cart. And I, have, I know where everything is. And I can get in and out of there in five minutes. And know exactly where the samples are. The most important thing about Costco. And then I have a strategy about what line I'm going. And I hang back, I watch and see who's the fastest one. And I get in line and I go and then I reward myself with a $1.50 hot dog. This is, the hot dogs at Costco are great. But this is the plan. He's confident. Jarius knows what he wants. Jesus is going to fix this. So he goes to Jesus. He bows at Jesus' feet. He has clear sight. He's a man on a mission. Have you ever prayed this way? You come to a problem. Oh yeah, I'll pray about it. It'll be great. Everything will go smoothly. Nothing bad will happen at all. <laughs> we laugh. But that's sometimes how we approach faith. There's nothing that could ever go wrong here. But while Jarius is, is convincing Jesus, there's an interruption. Something happens. A woman comes to him and distracts what Jesus is doing. In a way, you get Jarius, this mental picture of Jarius grabbing Jesus by the cloak and saying, come on, Jesus, I need you. I need you to do this. And then the interruption happens. And this interruption is taking far too long. In my mind's eye, I see Jarius standing there going, let's go. I'm an important man. And Jesus is taking his time. Jarius is looking at his sundial or whatever they had for watches then. He's, he's pacing back and forth. He's saying, come on. This is, this is, it's getting late in the day. We need to hurry. Jesus, if we can just continue, if we can just move on from this. But none of it's working. And so while Jarius is trying to get Jesus to hurry and Jesus is taking his sweet time, news comes. And in verse 49, it says, someone came and says, your father or your daughter, sorry, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Jesus took too long. Imagine being in, in Jarius' shoes. Jesus, if you would have just. Jesus, if you wouldn't have taken so much time here. Jesus, if, if you would have hurried, Jesus, what, why didn't you do this? If you would have only, how many of you have prayed like that? Everything's going fine, and then you get the news. 
Jesus, if you would have only what's your only. And now your faith goes from the midday sun where you can't, where you can't help but see everything to pitch black midnight. And Jesus is pretty clear of what's happening around here. It, it says at hearing this, so Jesus knows what's happening around him, and he almost interrupts this person, don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this in verse 50, Jesus said, don't be afraid, just believe, and she'll be healed. I, 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 I marvel at the fact that Jesus knew exactly what Jairus would be thinking. In that very moment where everything goes black, he knew exactly, Jairus, don't be afraid. One translator said uh, that it could be translated, Jairus, don't listen to them. Ignore them. Don't be afraid. Believe, and your daughter will be healed. I love that Jesus says this. It's a subtle lesson for each of us. As we pray like this, as we have these moments where everything's going right until it isn't, it's a subtle message for all of us that when everything goes wrong, there's a command for us. That sounds kind of Sunday schoolish, cookie cutter, candy cane, whatever you want to call it. Just believe. But it's exactly what, this, what Jesus said to this man. His world is falling apart. Jairus' plan is, go- is gone. Excuse me. His plan's gone. Everything that he thought and knew was going to happen, out the window. And Jesus' command, just believe. Don't be afraid. And I don't think it was as pithy as we make it sound. I think it was heartfelt. Jairus, I know what you're going through. Jesus, God himself, knows what it's like to lose a son, knows what it's like to lose a child, knows what heartbreak is like. says, I know this. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And so this picture that we get of Jairus leading Jesus is reversed. And now Jesus is holding Jairus saying, just believe. Let me take you home. Let me take you through this path, this dark path, and let me show you this. Jesus is imploring Jairus to believe something he can't see. Jairus, like me in youth group, has the blindfold around his eye. He has no idea where he's coming from. He has people telling him all these other things from around him, trying to help him walk across the room. And Jesus is essentially saying, don't listen to those voices. Listen to mine. Jesus is saying, don't limit your possibilities just to the visible. Don't listen just for the audible. Don't just try and control the things you can control. Don't be controlled by just the logical. Believe that there is more than meets the eye. Jarius can't see his way out, but Jesus can. There's a story about this father in, I think it was in the Caribbean or somewhere in the Bahamas area, and the house was on fire. The whole family runs out, but one of the children got scared and ran back in and ran upstairs. And it's, it, the child's upstairs, the house is engulfed in flames, and the father's sitting below the window going like this, saying, just jump. And the child looks down and says, but I can't see you. How do I know where to jump? And the father says back to the child, you can't see me, but I can see you, and I'll catch you. Just jump. This is essentially what Jesus is saying when he says, just believe. It might not look like it. It might not look like you can do this. It might, not, it might be too scary for you. Just believe. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians. He says in 2 Corinthians 4.18, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what was seen is temporary, but what is unseen 
is eternal. Jesus is asking Jairus to trust the unseen, to make a choice, either live by the facts or trust in faith. When tragedy strikes, when our days become midnight, we're going to be faced with the same decision too. Either we trust what we can see or we trust the healer. Either we look at our hurts or we trust the one who can fix them. Jarius had to choose who to listen to. And so the story continues in verse 52. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Jesus says, stop wailing. She's not dead, but she's asleep. And then they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. And so Jesus walks in. Everyone knows, and they think Jesus is a kook. They think he's done something wrong. He's gone mad. Faith does that, doesn't it? When you're in the midnight and you say, I still believe, I still have faith, everyone goes, you crazy, what are you thinking? Jesus then takes them by the hand in one translation, he kicks everybody out except for the mother, the father, himself, James and John. And they go upstairs and Jesus said in in verse 54, he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned to her, and at once she stood up, and then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what happened. Jarius learned something that day. He goes from midday to midnight. He goes from seeing all the answers to not having anything. Jarius learned that when all we see is our disaster, Jesus can look down and see our deliverance. And he doesn't want us to give any attention to all the other voices in the room telling us to lean into the disaster. He says, lean into the deliverance. We need to focus on the voice that's leading us and follow it to deliverance. There's Jarius and his story of faith. Then there's the story of the woman that comes in the middle of it. Uh, we don't know her name. But we're fully aware of the situation. If Jarius comes to Jesus, these two have a lot in common if you flip them around. Jarius comes to Jesus in midday. This woman comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. She has no hope. Luke's a doctor, and so he writes about it, and he gives us some, a little doctor. You can kind of see him going, I'm a doctor. I know what was wrong with her. Here's what was happening. He says, and a woman who's been there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years and no one can heal her. Mark, a a different author who writes the same story, goes into a little bit of a, a more detail, says that this woman has been trying and trying to find answers to what has been going wrong with her, but no one can cure her. It says that she has been trying, uh, she spent all of her money. The various fixes for this disease back in the day were kind of mythical, like hold the ashes of an ostrich egg and hope that works. Or they were just kind of superstitions. That's all they had that would fix it. So she's out of money. She's spent everything she's had. She's had it for 12 years. So at 12 years old, Jarius' daughter is sick. The beginning of her life. For 12 years, this woman has been sick. It's been all of her life. And the two come to Jesus on the same day. Her whole life has been defined by this sickness. And it wasn't something in that day that she can keep private. This would affect every single aspect of her life. According to Jewish law, an issue of blood is what it was called, would mean this. 
It would mean that she would be able to have no contact with her husband. It means that she would not be able to bear children. Anything she touched would be unclean. She was unclean. She was not allowed in the temple. We can deduce this from her. She was ostracized. She was pushed to the margins of her society. She was broke. And she was exhausted. And there's nothing else that she could hope for. And then she hears Jesus is coming to town. And she gets this wild idea and this crazy hunch that maybe, just maybe, Jesus might heal her. She has faith in the middle of her darkness. Normally, when, when, when someone like her would walk through town, she'd have to put up her arms and shout, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, because just touching her would make you unclean. And so people would, would make the wave, like they would clear a path and they'd give her plenty of distance so that they wouldn't be contaminated by her. But this woman does something different. She knows that the odds are very, very slim if she's sitting over there in the corner that Jesus would notice her. The crowds are everywhere. They're coming around Jesus. And so she takes a risk. In, the, in verse 44, she has high hopes and a crazy idea, and she steps out in blind faith that her idea might work. In verse 44, she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately the bleeding stops. So if you want to think that Jairus was leading Jesus like this, this woman sneaks up and starts pulling the other end of his cloak. And she's healed. Jesus notices that something has happened. says, who touched me? I kind of get the picture of like uh, the backseat of a vacation in a family vacation car, right? He touched me. Who touched me? Everyone's crowding in on Jesus and his disciples. When they all denied it, Peter said, uh, Master, there's a lot of people here. They're all pressing against you. And Jesus says, no, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Jesus, it's a strange question. Someone touched him, but when they touched him, it was a little bit different. But I don't think he's asking this just to be a sarcastic guy. I don't think he's trying to be smart. I think he knows what just happened. And he doesn't do this question or ask this question for his own benefit. He knows someone's been healed, but there's more to her story that needs to happen. Healing is great. This woman needed more than just a healing. So in verse 47, the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. So this woman comes to Jesus with this idea, this crazy hunch, trying not to be seen. And now Jesus singles her out and says, why'd you do this? Now everybody, you can almost feel the stairs looking at her. And she told why she had touched him. She told him her story. Maybe she started with, well, it was 12 years ago and this began. Maybe it was a long time and she went through all the doctors that had seen her and all of them that had failed. She exposes to Jesus everything that's wrong with her. And she says, but then I had this idea this morning and I whittled my way through the crowd, being careful not to touch any of you all, but I came through and I touched your garment and now I'm healed. The text says that she was trembling when she fell at his feet. She was looking for an easy cure. And now she was exposed in front of everybody. 
She was looking for the, how many of you ever heard of the unspoken prayer request? She was hoping for that. I, I don't want people to know everything about me. I just, I just want to be healed. I, I don't want to go into the details of what's going on in our marriage. I don't want to be going into the details of my addictions. I, I don't want to, be bar- to tell you about how I'm buried by debt. I don't want to tell you about the uncontrollable behaviors that I have. I just want a quick fix. I just want it to stop. I just want to be healed. How many of us come to Jesus like that? How many of us pray like that? We just want the healing. But Jesus is after something else with us. Sure, healing is what he can give. And there's healing in his wings. This woman is healed. She's got the healing. But there's so much more that Jesus wants to give her. Jesus doesn't go along with her plan. Jesus gives her more than what she bargained for. Whenever we go to Jesus with something very simple, whenever we go to Jesus with anything at all, we're always going to get more than we expected. The deal never works out the way we wanted it, want it to. It works out better. Jesus gives her what she needed, a healing, or gives her what she wanted, but then he goes further and gives her what she needed. Look in verse 48. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Jesus could have kept on walking. He could have went, yeah, cool. Nice. I'm glad I can help you out. But he says to her that word, daughter. It's only used one time in Jesus' ministry, that word. But imagine this woman. She's been ostracized. She doesn't have a family. Maybe she's kicked out of her home. She's been living probably on the streets, out away from society. For 12 years, no one's loved her. No one's touched her. Jesus looks at her and says, Daughter, Nowhere else does he call anyone daughter. This is what she needed. She wanted a healing, but Jesus says, I'll give you what you want, but I'll also give you what you need. Jesus says her faith was what made her well, but she got more than what she bargained for that day. Jesus does this in a few other places. There's another story about a man with leprosy that comes forward and says, Jesus, if you are willing, make me clean. And Jesus says, I'm willing, be clean. But in the middle of that, he reaches out and touches this man with leprosy. A man with leprosy you would never touch because then all of a sudden you have leprosy. This man had gone years without being touched. And now Jesus heals him, meets what he wants but gives him what he needs. This woman gets what she wants, but she gets more than what she bargained for. She gets her forgiveness. She gets her healing. But now she's been restored. The entire community hears her story. Everybody who's been pressing around Jesus hears her entire life story and how she was broken, how she came to Jesus because of this little tiny crazy idea and a hunch that it just might work. This tiny bit of faith And she's been healed. Jesus says, your faith has healed you. He doesn't say how much faith you needed to be healed. He just simply says, the faith that you had was plenty. And that's healed you. 
How many of us go to Jesus and we don't think that we have enough faith or we've been shamed to think that, well, we don't have what we want because we don't have enough faith. And so we start thinking, I just got to muster through. I just got to muster through. Jesus never says anything about the amount of faith that's needed. He just says you had faith. In fact, the kingdom of God is shown as the smallest seed known to that, this time of, of, of culture, the mustard seed. They didn't know of any smaller seeds. And he says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, the smallest one, it'll grow into a tree bigger than you can ever imagine. Faith in the middle of the night when you can't see anything. And so we're faced with two people in this story. Which one do you identify with? Is your world in chaos? Is it, was it bright as day yesterday? And now you're in the throes of it all? There's something that, that, uh, the, that we can learn from these characters. Faith for them isn't spelled F-A-I-T-H. Is that how you spell it? Yeah. Faith isn't spelled like that. For them, their faith was spelled R-I-S-K. They risked everything to come to Jesus. Faith is spelled risk. Jarius, a synagogue leader, comes to Jesus, the political and social and religious ramifications of him coming to Jesus in broad daylight. He risked it. And then he risked the shame of believing that his daughter wasn't dead when all the signs were telling him that he, she was dead already. He had everything to lose. Everything was thrown in chaos. Perhaps faith for you, if you can identify with Jarius means that everything is scripted. But when everything goes according, when everything goes against your plan and all you see is doom and disaster, do you forget that God still might be able to work? Maybe you've become blindfolded by your fear and you're led astray by the voices and the lies telling you to go to different ways and you can't see your deliverance. All you see is disaster. I believe that God desires to cast out the critics from your home too. Just like he crafted out those people who were telling and laughing at Jarius for even believing this. God knows that you and I are blind. And he still leads us. He knows that living by faith doesn't come naturally to us. But if we're willing to walk into those places in the midst of our doubts, he will breathe life into them when everyone else has gone away. Or perhaps you're like this woman. Maybe you've been sidelined by guilt or shame or years of trying and failing and always having the same story. Maybe there's something inside of you that wants to hope again, but that hope is scary. It takes, it takes risk to have faith again. I wonder when this woman's healing began. Yeah, she was healed when she touched Jesus. The text is clear. But I wonder when it began. Was it just when she touched the, the, the hem of his garment, perhaps? Or maybe she began to hope again when she started taking the first steps towards him. I got this crazy idea and this weird hunch, and I'm going to go for it. She risked it. She started to hope again. She touched his garment. She risked, but the risk began when she took the first step. It tells me something. God's help is always available for us but there's something we need to do first. We need to take a step. Faith is spelled risk. 
we don't have too much. We don't have to do much compared to the reward that we get. She, all she had to do was take a step and touch the garment. She didn't have to do anything. The healing came. Jesus did all the work, but she had to do something. We can say that we have all the faith, but if we do nothing, do we have faith at all? This is what James talks about. Faith is always accompanied by your actions. Perhaps your risk is simply believing again. But the point of your life right now, you're afraid to take a step. Or maybe you've taken a step or two in the past, but then you saw the people around Jesus and they all looked good. They were all fit and trim in their faith. They had all the answers. They, they were dressed well. They knew all the words of the song. They didn't have to look at the screen when, when the reference was taught. They knew they had the whole Bible memorized. And so you come to Jesus and you're broken. And you see all of these people and you go, there's no way I could come here. There's no way I can fit in. Look at the text again. Who was the only person that was commended for her faith? It wasn't the religious guy. It wasn't the leader of the synagogue. He was told to have faith. It was the woman who was broken and unclean, the one who didn't have all the answers. It was the one who had the crazy hunch and the high hopes that was commended for her faith. So you come to Jesus and you have no idea how it's going to turn out. That's faith. This is the woman. Faith is the belief that God can and God is real and that God is good. Faith is a conviction that God can and a hope that he will. And this is how he come, Jesus, uh, this woman comes. It's not a mystical experience or a midnight vision in the distant forest where you start hearing voices. Instead, it's a choice to believe when everything around you tells you you shouldn't. This woman had no guarantee. She had a hope, and she would hope that Jesus would respond. She longed for it, but she had no guarantee that would happen. Faith is spelled risk, and God has always honored risk. Noah risked and started to build an ark. He had no idea it would rain, and then it rained. He didn't know how long it would last. 40 days, 40 nights. They didn't know what rain was back then. He had hope, and the ark saved his life. Joshua was told to walk around the city. Don't take any weapons with you, Joshua. But it's Jericho. They have an army. Don't take any weapons. Just walk around the city. In fact, do it for a week. In the last day, walk around it seven times, and then blow some trumpets, and watch what happens. Joshua risked. you imagine everybody laughing at Joshua? Yeah, right. This guy, they're going to take us down. They don't see any swords. And the walls tumbled. Moses risked everything, raises a staff to the Red Sea, and it parts. A few chapters later, he puts a staff on a rock when they're thirsty, and water comes out. Risk. There's a little boy that comes to Jesus and says, I don't have much. I have a couple fish and some bread. Would you like some? And Jesus takes that and feeds 5,000. A man risked named Jairus and said, I'm going to believe even when everything around me is telling me not to. I'm going to believe. A woman with a crazy hunch and a high hope said, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to believe. Where are you at in this? Are you at midnight? 
Are you in the middle of the day? Everything's going wrong. Who do you identify with? And what's your risk? How will you step out in faith? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we can come to you when we don't have the answers, when we don't know what's going to happen, when our life seems to be in turmoil. And you say the same thing to us. Don't listen to them. Just believe. Don't be defined by fear. Just believe. Or if I would say it, put the cotton in your ears. Don't listen to them. Just believe. Oh Lord, we, we, we're stuck. We've sought the answers. Nothing's come. Maybe it's been 12 years and nothing's happened. And so Lord, may we hope again. May we know that if we can just take the step in faith, God, you will meet us in that place. And perhaps we won't get exactly what we're wanting, but we'll get exactly what we need in that situation. Your touch, your invitation, your acceptance. What we want and what we need. Lord, will you give us what we need today? But Father, may we risk it all to have that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.